The Nick Abbott Habit. Well, a lot has happened since last time and none of it good. So I'll try to put all that in a box and bury it at the bottom of my mind. The best way of forgetting about all of the bad news is to concentrate on the good. So here goes. There's a new theatre show in Japan that might, if we're really lucky, find its way over here for a West End transfer. It's called Let's All Hear Beautiful Girls Fart Together. And it's a show that features beautiful girls farting together. I know this because it was featured on my favourite Japanese TV show, which is called The Fart Programme. They're putting the F in art. They're also bringing joy to the 120 million fart fans that the show's organisers say live in Japan. And I checked. There are only 127 million people in Japan. Which means that 7 million Japanese who expressed a preference say they are not fart fans. But they don't know what they're missing. What they're missing is a show in which the audience can enjoy beautiful women farting while wearing street clothes and swimsuits. And this is a direct quote from the advert in order to stimulate your sense of sight and smell. Something for everyone there, I think you'll agree. The show takes place on the 21st of this month in Tokyo, so don't delay. Make your travel arrangements today. But be warned, the show depends very much on how the performers are feeling on the night. The organisers say that it might be impossible for the women to execute their act in the advertised manner. They say that to avoid disappointment, theatre-goers must understand that the women might not be able to fart no matter how hard they try. And on behalf of the people in the front row, can I suggest they don't try too hard? There. You're not thinking about bad news anymore, are you? You're welcome. I have to travel on a railway line that's having a strike and the tube trains that are having a strike to record this, so I'm lucky to be here at all. I checked on Google Maps and it would have taken about seven hours to walk. So if there hadn't been any trains running, I was thinking of cancelling. But then the terrorists would have won. No, sorry, not terrorists. Transport workers. Because here comes another load of train strikes. They're having another round of them because they always do when there's a vowel in the month. They come so regularly you could set your watch by them. There are a few disputes that are going on at the same time, so it might be instructive to look at the complicated reasons that the various workers' unions are calling their very serious concerns to our attention. But I won't be doing that. I'll be coming at it from the viewpoint of the poor sods who have to suffer while the train drivers sit at home taking time off from not doing much. Like the tube drivers, who are concerned that their working conditions are not to their satisfaction. Which is to say that they occasionally have to come in for work. The underground shutdown will begin on midnight on Thursday and last for 24 hours, by which time it will be midnight on Friday. So that's a long weekend for all those lucky drivers who are not rostered till Monday. They don't choose these days by accident, you know. They're trying to piss off as many people as they possibly can. This action is apparently the first to salvo in a forthcoming Autumn of Discontent, which sounds like the name of a film that Nicole Kidman would get an Oscar for. Autumn of Discontent. Nicole Kidman is Autumn, a woman on the edge. Also starring Morgan Freeman as God. Let a cinema near you from Friday. And as well as the walkout on the tube, we can also look forward to strikes planned on buses and trains, which will not be limited to London, so that the rest of the country doesn't feel left out. Isn't that considerate? I take this on a Wednesday, so I don't actually know whether the strike will have happened by the time you hear this, because this comes out on a Friday, the day after the strike is supposed to have happened. So I'm talking about something that may happen for me in the future, to you who are hearing it as being about something that may or may not have happened in the past. 
I need a Xanax just thinking about it. Do we have a Xanax in the building? Or a Valium? Or some barbs? How about a Zoloft? Do you have any Paxil? Got any Tranks? I'll take a bag of glue if it's going. Anyways, the entire tube network will be or was shut down or not last Thursday. Commuters have been told by customer relations departments of the relevant authorities that they are better off walking to their jobs or staying in to work at home. Which I think is the customer relations department of the relevant authorities telling you you're screwed. Anyway, working at home is not what people do who normally have to get up with an alarm clock set just far enough away that they have to get out of bed to turn it off when every fibre of their being is telling them to stay in bed. You know as well as I do that just because you don't have to stumble through the front door to rush in a panic to get a train they're late for and squeeze themselves into a carriage to stand sweating and bleary-eyed, it doesn't mean to say that they'll use that freed-up time to put in a full shift. Working at home actually means taking the day off or doing the absolute minimum required to make it look like they're not slacking. Picture it. The conscientious commuter heeds the advice of the train companies and does not add to the mayhem and stays home, thereby doing their bit for humanity. And what will that working-at-home day look like? Well, there'll be a luxurious lie-in. They'll look at the clock and feel just the smallest pang of guilt as they emasculate it by turning off its beeper followed by late breakfast, and then there'll be television shows that must be watched, followed by lunch and a nap, after which it'll be time to open a bottle of wine, because it's bound to be five o'clock somewhere, working at home my ass. And every time this sort of thing happens, we're told by economists and politicians that the cost to the economy will be huge. Business will suffer, they say, as though those jobs that need doing on Thursday could never be done on Friday, or that shopping you would have done couldn't ever be done on any other day. But as you know, economists and politicians have never been wrong about anything, so I suppose we've got to take their word for it. It does explain why the tube drivers are some of the most highly paid unskilled workers on earth. They have the welfare of millions to use as leverage to get what they want. And that's right, I said it, unskilled. You could train an ape to be a train driver, as far as I can tell. You push a lever forward and then get down to updating your status on Facebook. It's not like they have to steer or watch out for other track users, or avoid cyclists. There's nothing to it. But their demands for doing this are enormous. And what they want includes, but is not limited to, a 32-hour four-day week, with holidays, sick leave and pensions that are 100% of salary. And they want longer holidays, and they want to retire at 55. The demands are as long as the terms and conditions on an iTunes contract. They already earn twice or three times the national average, but apparently that's not enough. And if the strike goes ahead, or did go ahead, tube trains will be scarce or completely absent, which means that buses will be packed and the traffic will be a nightmare. Nigel Holness, director of network operations for London Underground, said should the planned strike go ahead, there will be substantial disruption. No sh**, Nigel. They don't pay him the big money for nothing. Substantial disruption, you say? Transport for London said that road journeys will take longer than normal. They employ clairvoyance at Transport for London. They said that people are advised not to drive into central London unless absolutely necessary, as opposed to normally, when people drive into central London just for the thrill of the open road. There's a lot of this coming. In the next few months, bus controllers, rail workers and tube drivers announced their autumn collection of walkouts. 
They're all going to be announcing strikes in the coming weeks. They're falling out of work like leaves off a tree. There's members of the Rail, Maritime and Transport Union at Southern, Mersey Rail, Arriva Rail North and Greater Angular. Ang- Angular. <laughs> They're going to walk out on October the 3rd and the 5th. The Southern dispute seems to have been going on for eons. That one's supposed to be about concerns over conductorless trains. They say the problem is that if the driver has to close the doors of the train without the assistance of a guard, there will be safety implications. It looks like they're more concerned with the employment implications of doing away with the dedicated button pusher at the back. What difference does it make? The entire London Underground operates without conductors. They used to be in the last carriage, in their own little space, reading their books, perched on their little seat, which used to be infuriating when the carriage was so packed for commuters that your face was in some bloke's wet armpit and the guard was there enjoying the approximate same amount of space as you'd get in a one-bed flat. I might be remembering this wrong, but I'm sure that some of them had balconies. And they did away with the conductor decades ago on the tube to the exact same shrill calls that people would die, it's not safe, and the result was nothing happened. The drivers pushed the door closed button themselves and the most frequent danger you suffer on the tube is sitting on a seat that has been dampened by its previous occupant. Oh, you don't notice at first. The moisture has to seep past two layers of clothing, assuming you're wearing your knickknacks. But once you've noticed you're wet, wet with someone else's intimate moisture, then it's the only thing you can think of for the rest of the day, even after it dries out. You can't wait to get home and throw all your clothes on a bonfire, which is difficult if you don't have a garden. So the most dangerous thing about conductorless trains is setting fire to your flat. I think that train drivers are taking a stand on sacking the conductors because what they're really upset about is the future sacking of the train drivers. Never mind about conductorless trains, they're freaking out about driverless trains, which are here already and will be rolled out just as soon as the train companies can do it. By pushing their luck, those striking drivers are just hastening their own demise. They're picking a fight with the future while kidding on that it's our safety they're concerned with. Still, if all the trains are parked in sidings, imagine how safe they'll be then. And besides, the future isn't commuting from the suburbs into town centres on trains or buses or anything so earthbound and humdrum. The future is commuting from London to New York by being blasted into space on a rocket made by the bloke out of the Iron Man films. Not Robert Downey Jr. He's too stoned to put a rocket together. No, the man that the character's based on, Elon Musk which sounds like the name of an underarm deodorant. He's invented batteries and PayPal and cars and roof tiles and probably the chair you're sitting in. And now he's invented travel. He's the bloke that said they were making such a hash of this planet that we'd better colonise another one, Toot Sweet. And he built a rocket made almost entirely of money to take the lucky contestants who passed the test to Mars, where no man has gone before. And what they'll do when they get there is anyone's guess. Try to reproduce to get the numbers up, probably. It won't be much in the way of entertainment. You won't be able to play golf, because the gravity is so low the ball would just keep on going. You'd have to put the holes a hundred miles from the tees. And your eyeballs would pop out your skulls and your lungs would explode if you went for a walk outside. So there'd be little to do except have constant hot Martian sex with your carefully selected interstellar space crew. It would be your duty. Any volunteers, please form an orderly queue. And since he's invented this rocket that can lift off and then land, he thought, why not use it to go to Sydney instead of the stars? You'd be able to fly from London to Sydney on the top of an exploding tube in great terror 
in half the time it would take you to clear customs when you got there. You'd be so freaked out by the time you arrived that a full-body cavity search would seem relaxing. Elon Musk said that his reusable rocket would take a 100 people from London to New York in 29 minutes. The stewardess would still be explaining how the seatbelt works when you're getting off at the other end. How fantastic! He also said it would cost about the same as an economy flight to the same place. And if you believe that, I have a slightly water-damaged house in Puerto Rico I'd like to sell you. Still, that's what's coming, and it can't arrive soon enough, because we aren't getting any slimmer. And those thruster rockets can only lift so much. And I was thinking of that when I read a school in Yorkshire was doing its bit to try to reduce the baggage that its pupils carry around, with the result that you would expect. Fury. Parents in Yorkshire are fighting a school ban on sausage rolls and pork pies in lunchboxes. Now, that might sound familiar because it's similar to a fight that took place in the same county 11 years ago when parents pushed bags of chips and crisps through school railings to feed their cow-sized children who were denied their favourite way to an early wheezing death because some health Nazi at school wanted to save their lives. Parents weren't having any of that. Jamie Oliver can take his healthy eating initiative and stuff it. This time it's Shirley Manor Primary Academy in Wick, West Yorkshire, which is the new battleground in the war to save stupid people from themselves. The school imposed a pastry ban to promote healthy eating. And of course the policy faced a backlash. You'd be surprised if it hadn't. Outrage ensued after the school went so far as to introduce a whole school food and drink policy, which they say is to ensure children eat well. It said it wants to work with parents to achieve this. Well, best of luck with that. Parents are pulling in the opposite direction, explaining in the modern manner that it's my right, I can do what I want. Which is pretty amazing, really. Parents who are so bad at their job that their children have the same profile as a space hopper are demanding to be able to abuse their kids because it's their right. The whole world's gone crazy. The school said pork pies, sausage rolls, pepperoni sticks are all high in salt and saturated fat. These items should not be included in a pupil's packed lunchbox. Well, that was the edited version, which initially said these items should not be included in a pupil's packed lunchbox, you stupid morons. No, it didn't. I made that up. What they actually said was desserts, cakes, biscuits, crisps, these foods are high in saturated fat, sugar and salt. Too much of these foods can be harmful to health. If a pupil has one or more of these items in their lunchbox, they will be removed by staff. That is, the food would be removed, not the children. They've got a similar policy on squash and fizzy drinks. And this is a good thing. It's to promote the idea that inside the doughy rolls of fat that sit around the playground, there's a healthy child that wants to get out. If only their dopey parents would stop shoving fried beige food in their mouths. And if you thought that no one would actually fight for the right to make their kids fat, you don't know people much, do you? Parents queued up to express their anger to reporters and photographers who arrived at the scene, saying things like, Hold up this sausage roll and look sad. We promise not to ridicule you at all. But why did parents insist on their rights to give their fat children fattening foods? Well, they typically claim that their child was fussy about what they eat and they don't like that newfangled fruit and vegetable stuff. And that mummy and daddy don't send their kids to school to get healthy. They send them there so they can watch Jeremy Kyle in peace. They wind it's hard when they have a child that's a picky eater. 
And this is true. But the reason that their child is a picky eater is because their parents have caved in to their offspring's every demand because they want to be considered their friend, not their guardian. Whatever happened to you'll sit there till you've eaten it. Here's the news, parents. Your child doesn't want you as a mate. They don't even want to be your friend on Facebook. The job of the parent is to make decisions in their children's best interests, which might sometimes not be what they want. The problem is that stupid parents insist on stuffing their stupid kids with things that their grandparents wouldn't recognise as food. And the result is that families are so wide they have to wobble down the pavement in single file. Childhood obesity is up 40% in four years, and 19% of children leave primary school obese. And most of the rest of them aren't what you'd call fit either. But let's not get carried away and insist that those of little brains should regulate their kids' food intake. It's no biggie. Just a lifetime of ill health and a lot of early deaths. And what's that against the taste of a cold, congealed blob of mystery meat in a soggy lard roll? I think I just heard the dinner gong. That's it. I'm off. Do remember my books of columns at the Kindle store on Amazon. They're mentally nutritious and amusingly delicious. And I'm back on LBC on Friday and Saturday nights at 10. And back here on the 20th of October. And until then, I appreciate your attention. A Big Things Media Production. Big Things!